The Client Pipe Podcast. So we're here today to talk about how do I come up with a price for client engagements if I'm a consultant, an individual contractor, etc. And Steve, I believe you have a story to give us some guidance on that. Well, a little while back, I was looking for a designer, like thousands of people do. In my case, I was looking for a high-end designer, somebody that's up there and kind of the enterprise level of expertise. I had two constraints and three requests. Two, re- two constraints were no change to the layout and no change to the, the text or the written information that we had, which is pretty severe. Uh, we were looking to change stock photos and looking for recommendations on the color palette and uh, recommend, uh, recommendations for fonts. So I found a designer whom I was enamored with, loved her work, thought I was a great fit. And so I'm all excited to uh, reach out to her. Yes, yes, we can talk. And uh, we get into the conversation, you know, the usual exchanges. And uh, after I'd explained what we were looking for, just kind of a recap of what I said in an email, the question which came back was, what's your budget? Microphone drop. I was crushed. I, was, I, I don't know what my budget is. That's why, why we're talking. Now, let me be clear. She's a very professional designer. Um, she's got a lot of experience with um, enterprise clients. So it just killed the flow of the conversation. And I was feeling the uncertainty of, well, you know, now I've got to kind of figure it out. And this isn't my expertise. I don't, I don't know what stuff costs. Um, that's why we're talking. I need advice. I need guidance. And I, it really stopped, full stop in the conversation. And how do we do this? Because I was still interested in her, but it told me a lot that, well, she doesn't really know how to launch this kind of a project when there's a lot of uncertainty. So uh, we talked through it and kept dancing around it for two or three more loops. And she did finally come around. We'd almost given up on each other. And she finally came around and she did what attorneys did. And I didn't think of this, but as soon as she said it, it made sense. What attorneys do when it's kind of an open-ended project is they'll say, listen, to get started, my retainer is this much. And hers was, was pretty hefty. It was a few thousand dollars, but it made sense relative to the quality of work that she does. And that's how she reconciled the uncertainties. And listen, we can launch with this retainer. And then from then on, you know, we can chunk it up with uh, uh, payments for pieces of work. So uh, that's how we managed to resolve the question, but holy smokes, they're for in the middle of the conversation. That was tough. I've seen this a lot, actually. And I, I think your point is that we need to be able to lead clients. It's us that needs to step up to lead the clients to a pricing model that matches, uh, even in the face of uncertainty. You know, I work with another company that's recently redefined their pricing models, and they've kind of cracked this nut. For them, uh, they listen to the nature of what the client needs and they offer either a project fee for a one-time project. It's best when there's a very defined need and a very defined time frame. Or they offer a subscription fee for a recurring thing when there are defined needs, but there is a, a recurring defined time frame also, uh, like monthly. And then when there are undefined needs, the, the needs are unclear. It could be a variety of different things we need over time. We're not sure yet. And perhaps an undefined time frame. It's sort of we need it as the need arises. They go with the retainer model. And the way they explain the retainer model is we're not going to break out what each thing costs and we're not going to charge you by the hour. You're going to sort of trust us that you're going to load us up with a few thousand dollars and we're going to draw it down at the rates we normally do. And we're going to tell you when you need to reload. And so one point that 
they sort of brought out about that is the retainer model sort of works best when you have an established relationship, you've gotten to know each other, and there is some of that trust. Uh, but beyond that, it's got to be, you know, subscription or, or project-based or something like that. So my question to you then, Steve, is how do you solve this? I mean, because in a lot of enterprise projects, I think a lot of companies are used to hiring consultants by the hour. There's a certain sort of billable hourly rate because it, there really is that uncertainty about needs and time frame, uh, such as a, in a software development. Right. And, and I work a lot of projects that are on an hourly rate, and uh, they're usually larger clients that have substantial budget and can afford it. But even in those, there are certain parts of the project, especially initially during kickoff, where they're trying to size it. They, they have to sell it internally to, to get acceptance. So uh, large or small, there are often parts of the project that need sizing. And an hourly rate just doesn't cut it. And, and in a lot of cases, even a retainer, well, you know, let's start with the so many thousands of dollars and see what happens. You got, you've got to be better than that. What I find with a lot of consultants and, and I've been there too, is you don't want to get yourself into a position where you accidentally lowballed it and you've set expectations too low, but you also don't want to blow it out and protect yourself so much that it's just not interesting. Look, this, the price that you just said is that that's a non-starter. We, we, I can't sell that internally. So the answer is break it down into chunks of work that are fairly clear. And this is, these, this is the way agile frameworks work anyway in projects, which is let's take what we know and estimate that. And so then you can present to the client things that, that are known. This is generally what this piece of work costs, or this is generally how long it takes. I usually provide both. I provide a price and I then also give an estimated duration, not how many hours of work, but how much elapsed time. For example, if I think it's going to take me mm, three or four days, I might quote 10 days or 14 days of elapsed time because I've got other projects going on. And so I leave myself some wiggle room and to set expectations. Now, it also depends on their, their interest and how fast it needs to be done. But elapsed time is not actual working hours. So I do those two things. And then I also leave open the uncertain part. You know, these other parts that you asked for, I really don't know. And I need to get in there and look. Or I might do a semi-firm estimate, which is a little more uncertain about this piece. Generally, it's going to take this much time or this much money. But I tell you what, uh, if I get in there and it turns out there's a lot of variability, say it's more than 30% of what I thought, I'm going to stop. I'm going to come back to you and say, listen, this is a lot more than I originally thought. And we need to revisit. And same thing on the downside. If it turns out to be a lot easier, I'm also going to not keep the original amount that I talked about. These are choices as a consultant. But what I'm conveying is this is how you deal with uncertainty to get the client to a point where they can discuss it rationally, internally, and consider value for money. Yeah, I like that. So it's sort of you break down what the client is asking for into parts you can visualize and parts you can't. Uh, this is, a, as you say, a premise of agile project delivery in that the way it works is we want to take the shortest path to delivering demonstrable value and not start on all the things that we don't quite know how to get to yet. And so if you look at a proposal, a pricing proposal, as your initial act of delivering value, the proposal itself has value, then of course you want to visualize, break down, and put 
pricing to the parts you can you can visualize and maybe leave open some of the parts you can't. And and you and I have both done those kinds of uh, proposals where we we say, well, it, it kind of creates a proposal timeline. So instead of this is what I charge per hour, it's this this should be done by April first, and this part will probably uh, take us into mid May, etc. And you're almost guaranteed not to get that initial proposal right. In, in a couple of areas, there, there's going to be some negotiation or some back and forth or some questions or uh, some areas of flex. But w- that gets us to an initial proposal right away instead of an endless process of discovery, you know, and asking them to commit or sort of here's a proposal where I do try to represent those unclear things as though they are super clear. And now I've asked them to overcommit to something rigid and fixed. I uh, I wonder, though, what you do, Steve, when uh, someone sort of ask for a price on the phone. I realize this doesn't come up with larger companies who sort of get it, but you know, as the size of the company sort of goes goes into below mid-market, you do hear that a lot. People are sort of saying, can you ballpark it for me? And I know that one solution that we've done is to give people uh, sort of a price if they insist, hey, I need to, I need more clarity, I need it right away. We give them a price for an initial assessment, which also gives them a stop point. If they don't like the relationship, they can break out. But in the meantime, we've got a way to get to value. The assessment has value because they can take this on to another vendor. Is that how you solve it? Or is there another way to handle it when somebody's sort of saying, you know, just give me, give me a, a range of pricing? Well, an initial assessment, initial assessment works when it's a larger project, unless you can do it over the phone. It depends on whether we're talking about remote or on site. In a smaller project, when the client really needs a price and they ask that on the first call, I may not have enough information. And I, I often, just by the nature of the way I think, I often need a pause. So what I'll say, and I just did this, is I was on my first call, initial evaluation, and we both liked each other. Liked each other, in, And what I mean by like is it was a fit in terms of what I can do and what they need. And I said, let's talk again in three days. And that was based on my schedule. I couldn't have talked sooner. And I came back around to that second call with, with more specific questions and I thought about the conversation. And I wanted to do it in two calls. And I, I knew there was no way I was going to have enough information, but this isn't a big enough project to justify endless conversation. So in that case, I did it as a two-step and then also was pretty open, like I said, about, like we said before, about the parts that were, were clear and the parts that weren't. I wonder, though, what we do with dysfunctional clients. And sometimes it takes us a while to figure out they're dysfunctional and it's in the sort of the debriefing conversation afterwards. But everybody has this. I should say dysfunctional prospects because ideally they don't ever become clients if, yeah. if we determine they're dysfunctional. They're dysfunctional prospects. But but some some will say, you've heard this with me in proposals we've done where the phone conversation is they want every single iota broken down. They're asking the right question, which is show me where I get value out of this, but they're dismissing anything that's fluid that requires gathering information or anything like that. So in a proposal, we might say, well, if we need to travel and we recommend that you know we're on the ground once a quarter and that's this fee, they will say, well, I need to know exactly how many times you're going to need to travel and why you would need to travel and what you're going to do when you're here and how many hours you're going to put in. And you start to hear a very dysfunctional approach to pricing. How do you, how do you handle that? Yes. And I, and I want to be very clear that these descriptions we're giving of, of techniques are not fixed bid pricing, not firm pricing. They're approximate. And even, for example, let's, let's imagine with an attorney, somebody who has a lot of particular experience in a particular field, they're rarely going to commit to what your situation and cost. So what do we do in that situation when the client 
prospective client starts getting specific, wanting to quote a locked-in firm price, I might indulge that conversation one or two times, loops through, well, we're not really going to commit to a specific price because there's too many variables to know on this one conversation. So that when, when you see a prospective client start driving toward a fixed price and in your line of work, fixed, there's too much uncertainty to quote a fixed price and there's no sub part of that project that you can quote on a fixed price, then that tells you what kind of client you're dealing with. And you have to ask yourself, do I really want to do business? There's a lot of spirit of cooperation that goes into these initial conversations. You want to give them enough certainty that will resolve the question, how much is it going to cost me about, but leave enough room that when you discover these new things that you can, you can change it. When the prospective client keeps saying that I need specific price, I need you to commit, you're the expert, you know what to do. You get that feeling, how it's coming down. It's, it's not really collaborative anymore. You want collaborative relationships. That's the best way to deal with uncertainty is when you have a, a client relationship of collaboration and trust. So when the tone violates uh, your intentions, what, what you're looking for in clients and prospective clients to do. So to sum up, uh, lead the conversation around pricing. Don't put the burden on the prospective client. Hear the nature of the client's needs and apply appropriate pricing models to those needs. And in the face of uncertainty, identify what you can define and price that. I'd like to remind you to visit clientpipe.com. Of course, stay tuned for the next episode, but you'll find a lot more at clientpipe.com. The Client Pipe Podcast.